was awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, all of you. So, on the subject of mastery, what does it take to be a master? How many of you have met someone you think is a master at something? Good, good. So mastery, according to Mr. Webster, is the ability to use, control, and dispose of something. Very dramatic, huh? To use, dispose, to, to use, control, and dispose of something. So let's think about language. If you are a master of languages and you have the ability to speak five or six of them, then you would have the ability to use language to control the communication, the conversation, because you have mastery of that language, and also the ability to dispose of certain words. So in the English language, we have some words that we don't use anymore the way we used to use them. So you would have the ability as a teacher to say, I'm not going to teach you that word in that context because we don't do that anymore. That word used to mean something else. We've now, that is not a word we use anymore. Or another example I gave earlier was perhaps you use a sword. You have the ability to use the sword. You have the ability to control how you use it and in what ways it's used. But you also, as a master, have the ability to look at the sword and to know when it's time to dispose of it, that this, this is no longer an integrous tool. It's no longer going to do, you can't rely on it anymore. You may go to protect yourself and have your sword break. It's important to know as a master when you can let something go, when it's no longer uh, the right tool or in the right shape for use or, or to make a change. A lot of times, over time, masters have been handed down information and certain teachings no longer are applicable in modern world. There are a lot of those in our holy books, aren't they? There are a lot of, of laws and rules that were passed down that at one time meant something different than how we perceive them today. They were used differently and they meant something different. So mastery is the ability to use, control, and dispose of whatever it is is your field of mastery as unromantic as that sounds. So, masters have a few things in common. Masters are, first of all, passionate about whatever it is they've worked on mastery of. Because it takes your whole lifetime to master something, doesn't it? It's something you continually are engaged with. So they have a particular passion because we don't want to master something we're not passionate about. We wouldn't put our time into it. Masters are perpetual students. Whatever that thing is, they are always looking for something more. And even though they may have achieved some level of mastery of whatever that is, they're continuing to be open and willing to learn more, to grow more, to expand the use of what they have. And finally, masters are by their very nature teachers, aren't they? Because masters learn from who? From, from other masters. Do they learn from their students too? Of course they do. Of course they do. 
they are constantly in the state of teaching. And in that teaching, if you ever have had the opportunity to teach something, in that teaching process is so much learning. It's one thing to take something in, it's something very different, to hand it back out and see if somebody else can understand what you think you know. Totally refines and cultivates your skill. So when we have a master, we generally believe them because they're a master after all, right? So we believe them. We think as small children that our parents are masters and we believe things that our parents tell us. When we go to school, we believe that our teachers are masters and we believe things that our teachers tell us. And sometimes when we come to church, we believe things that our ministers tell us. We believe things that someone in authority says are real. So I have a little test for you. Let's see what you know is true and what is not. I would like to know by raise of hands if you have ever believed this. You only use 10% of your brain. Okay, not true. Not true at all. We use almost all of our brain when we're sleeping we're using about 10%. And we may be using 10% of our brain at any given time, but we use almost 100% of our brain. How about this one? Vitamin C cures the common cold. Vitamin C does not cure anything. It will boost your immune system and allow your natural body to heal itself, but it is not a cure for anything. Violent crime in the United States is at an all-time high. A couple of you believe it? So between 1993 and 2016, violent crime reduced in America by 16%, I'm sorry, by 50%. Yeah, by 50%. It's pretty remarkable. The reason that we don't experience it that way is because we now have social media. And so we know every time something happens anywhere, we know we're seeing more of it but it's reduced by 50%. This is huge in how we analyze our country and what we believe about our life, isn't it? How about this one? Napoleon Bonaparte was short. Napoleon Bonaparte was short. Yeah, five foot seven, which was taller than the average man during his lifetime. It's short to us now, but he, in his lifetime, was not short. So anything that you believe about the Napoleon syndrome of short people (laughs) did not come from him. He was not a short guy in his lifetime. Did your mother tell you it takes seven years to digest gum? (laughs) Gum does not digest. It goes straight through you. So if you worried for seven years, (laughs) you don't have to worry anymore. It's not true. Bats are blind. How many of you know that bats are blind? You're starting to catch on to this, I can tell. Bats are not blind. Bats see as well as human beings. Bats are not blind. What they do is have echolocation. So they can see better than us. They can, they can use echolocation um, to be able to travel in the night. It would be kind of handy if we could do that, wouldn't it? But that has nothing to do with inability to see. One last one. How many of you have wondered about the splinters that George Washington must have gotten from his wooden teeth? (laughs) Me. 
man, that is not a good idea, wooden teeth. That sounds terrible. He never had wooden teeth. Do you know that? He never had wooden teeth. His teeth were made of ivory from dinosaur, uh, from dinosaur tusk. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> his, uh, his teeth were made of ivory from, from rhinoceros. And, um, and the teeth that were in were some of his own teeth and some slave teeth and some animal teeth. And they were put in to the jawbone with gold and brass. No wood whatsoever. No wood whatsoever. How did that story get started? Who decided that was the truth? And how come we all heard that? How come we all heard all of these things? Because somewhere along the line, someone who had perceived authority said, this is so, and we didn't check it. We didn't, we didn't check it. We just believed it. We were young. We were perhaps inexperienced. And someone we trusted said it. And so we believed these things to be true. And they're blatantly not. Let me share with you a couple others that are important to us that are not true. How about this one? Religion is the main cause of war. How many of you have heard that? Religion is the main cause of war. There's a bo- there was a book published in 2008 called The Encyclopedia of War, and there are 1,723 wars documented in that book. And of those 1,723, 123, 7% of those wars were related to religion. Only 7%. An important thing for you to know, because someone will say that to you. Important for you to know whether it's true or not. Churches don't contribute to the economy because they don't pay taxes. Ever heard that? Do churches hire people? Do they buy toilet paper? Do we buy paper, supplies, clean floors, hire people, um, change, yeah, coffee, pay utilities? All of those things contribute to the economy. We do business with other people. We bring business to other people, and we do business with other people, and we hire people, and we contribute, according to a study at Georgetown University, $1.2 trillion every year to the national economy. How about churches don't really do anything except serve their own people? 87% of people um, who are served through church-funded programs which are huge. I'll tell you a little bit about that. 87% of them don't go to church at all. 190,000 addiction programs are based in churches. 190,000. 123,000 programs that serve veterans and veterans' families come out of churches. 23,000 programs, I'm sorry, 27,000 programs that serve people with AIDS or HIV positive. 2,500 Catholic charities in the, in the continental United States serve over 10 million people alone. We serve 25,000 right here in our congregation through Westside Cares. We serve 25,000 people a year. <clears throat> Pretty amazing. They, most of them not coming here. The majority of the people who are going to Westside Cares are not coming here. So 
there are ideas that we have about what church is and what religion is and why it's not relevant in today's world that I want you to be educated about. I want you to know where you're coming. uh, Many of you who've been here for any length of time with me have heard me say, don't just believe it because I said it. Go find out for yourself. If I'm doing this right, I will say enough things that make you curious that you'll have to go search and find out if it's true or not. Do your homework. Don't just trust me because I get to stand seven inches higher so you can see me. That, I promise you, that does not make me an authority of much of anything except maybe mastering the stairs, right? So as we go into this year of mastery, I'm going to share with you the teachings of many masters. I'm going to share with you what they found to be true for them. I want you to understand that that doesn't make it true for you. It makes it interesting for you. Hmm, I wonder if that's true for me. How do I feel about that? What is that telling me about myself? As we go through this year, this isn't a year to just take the teachings and make them yours. That's not what masters do. Masters have a sovereign heart. Masters take things through their own filters and decide what is true for them. And we have many masters in this room, and all of you will have your own opinions. Certain things will be important to some of you, other things to others, and your curiosity will take you into what is really the sweetness of this subject, which is your own exploration. To be the seeker, to go out and find out how you feel about things. So I want you to have this at the beginning. I want you to begin to think through the the field of curiosity I want you to listen to why people mastered a particular area and what they learned without assuming that it's the right learning for you so that you can find your own mastery. Because if we're just handing you this on a silver platter and you're just assuming it's true and walking away with it, you will not know how to use, control, or dispose of it. You will throw it around just like people throw these things around as though they were truths with no ability to justify why you truly believe it to be what is. And right now, mastery is needed in our world. We are overrun with illusion. Mastery is needed, and it's ours to do the work of mastery, not to just follow in the footsteps. I have some quotes for you. This first one is from Myrtle Fillmore, who was known as the mother of unity. God is the one perfect life flowing through us. God is the one pure substance out of which our organism is formed. God is the power that gives us motive power, the strength that holds us upright and allows us to exercise our members. The wisdom that gives us intelligence in every cell of our organism, every thought of our mind. God is the only reality of us. All else is but a shadow that is cast by some foolish belief or unwise combination of thoughts and the element of being. Mahatma Gandhi said, a a nation's culture resides in the hearts and in the souls and in the beliefs of its people. 
Mother Teresa said, we think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. The poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. We must start in our own homes to remedy this. And I'm going to close with a poem that is by Ellie Wheeler Wilcox. And the reason I'm going to close with it is because one of our emphasis for 2018 is to step deeper into our mission of inclusivity. To not just say we're inclusive, but to learn how to be accepting of one another in our differences, um, which are in, we are different in our faith backgrounds, we are different in our economics, we're different in our political structure, we're different in our household makeup, we're different in lots of different ways. And to say we're inclusive without ever talking about that and becoming fascinated by it and going deeper into it is as as much of an illusion as any of the others I've shared with you today. So I want to close with this poem. It's called The Goal. All roads that lead to God are good. What matters it, your faith or mine? Both center on the goal divine of love's eternal brotherhood. A thousand creeds have come and gone, but what is that to you or me? Creeds are but branches of a tree, The root of love lives on and on. Though branch by branch proves withered wood, the root is warm with precious wine. Then keep your faith and leave me mine. All roads that lead to God are good.